0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Dr. J's Shakespeare. I'm Dr. J. In today's episode, I'll be discussing the witches and what they represent in Macbeth. Macbeth opens with thunder and lightning. The three witches, bearded hags, are already on stage. One speaks. First Witch When shall we three meet again, in thunder, lightning, or in rain? Second witch. When the hurly-burly's done, when the battle's lost and won? Third witch. That will be ere the set of sun? First witch. Where the place? Second witch. Upon the heath? Third witch. There to meet with Macbeth? First witch. I come, Gray Malkin. Second witch Paddock calls third witch anon all oh, Fair is foul and foul is fair hover through the fog and filthy air more thunder and lightning and they are gone. Grey Malkin, if you're wondering, is a grey cat, the first witch is familiar. Paddock, the second witch is familiar. Is a toad. And thus the stage is set for all that follows a tale of the supernatural, yes, but also a tale of human evil. The next scene opens with the entry of a bloody soldier on one side of the stage, and on the other, the King of Scotland, followed by his two sons and other Scottish noblemen. The bloody soldier brings report of an ongoing battle. The king's forces, led by the two generals, Macbeth and Banquo, are victorious. A second report brings news that one of the king's trusted thanes, the thane of Cawdor, has been captured with the enemy. The king orders that he be executed for treason and sends two messengers to meet the returning Macbeth and Banquo to inform Macbeth that he has been made thane of Cawdor. The king and his entourage exit. Again thunder and lightning. The witches again appear. At this point, the play gets underway in earnest. Let's listen. Macbeth, Act One, Scene Three. Thunder, enter the three witches. First witch, where hast thou been, sister? Second witch, killing swine. Third witch, sister, where thou? First witch, a sailor's wife had chestnuts in her lap and munched and munched and munched. Give me, quoth I. Aroint thee, witch, the rump fed runyon cries. Her husband's to Aleppo gone, master of the tiger, but in a sieve I'll thither sail and like a rat without a tail, I'll do, I'll do and I'll do. Second witch. I'll give thee a wind. First witch. Thou art kind. Third witch. And I another. First witch. I myself have all the other. I'll drain him dry as hay. Sleep shall neither night nor day hang upon his penthouse lid. He shall live a man forbid. Weary seven nights, nine times nine shall he dwindle peak and pine, though his bark cannot be lost, yet it shall be tempest-tossed. Look what I have. Second witch, show me, show me. First witch, here I have a pilot's thumb, racked as homeward he did come. A drum is heard. Third witch, a drum, a drum, Macbeth doth come. All dancing in a circle. The weird sisters hand in hand, posters of the sea and land, thus to go about, about, thrice to thine and thrice to mine, and thrice again to make up nine. Peace, the charms wound up. Enter Macbeth and Banquo. Macbeth. So foul and fair a day I have not seen. Banquo. How far is it called to for us? then seeing the witches. What are these, so withered and so wild in their attire, that look not like the inhabitants of the earth, and yet are on it? Live you, or are you aught that man may question? You seem to understand me, by each at once her choppy finger laying upon her skinny lips. You should be woman, and yet your beards forbid me to interpret that you are so Macbeth, speak if you can. What are you? First Witch, all hail, Macbeth, hail to thee, Thane of Glamus. Second Witch, all hail, Macbeth, hail to thee, Thane of Cawdor. Third Witch, all hail, Macbeth, that shalt be king hereafter. Banquo to Macbeth, Good sir, why do you start and seem to fear things that do sound so fair? Then to the witches, in the name of truth, are you fantastical, or that indeed which outwardly you show? My noble partner you greet with present grace and great prediction of noble having and of royal hope that he seems rapt with all. To me you speak not. If you can look into the seeds of time and say which grain will grow and which will not, speak then to me, who neither beg nor fear your favors, nor your hate. First witch. Hail. Second witch. Hail. Third witch. Hail. First witch. Lesser than Macbeth and greater. Second witch. Not so happy, yet much happier. Third witch, thou shalt get kings, though thou be none. So all hail, Macbeth and Banquo. First witch, Banquo and Macbeth, all hail. Macbeth, stay, you imperfect speakers, tell me more. By Sinel's death I know I am Thane of Glamis, but how of Cawdor? The Thane of Cawdor lives, a prosperous gentleman and to be king stands not within the prospect of belief no more than to be caught say from whence you owe this strange intelligence or why upon this blasted heath you stop our way with such prophetic greeting speak i charge you which is vanish and macbeth and banquo are left alone on the stage to wonder at what they've seen to wonder if the witches were real or if they're suffering some delusion. Just to head off any confusion, in the play, the witches are real. It doesn't matter whether or not witches are real in our world. We, the audience, have seen the witches when no other characters have been on stage, so we know they aren't an illusion. What the witches represent in our world is another question, which we'll return to. But for now, yes, the witches are real. Macbeth and Banquo don't know this, though, not with the certainty we do. But now enter the two messengers from the king, informing Macbeth that he is indeed Thane of Cawdor, just as the witches said. The reactions of Macbeth and Banquo, both now and for the remainder of the play, are quite different. Banquo takes the prophecies and their partial fulfillment in stride, curious to see what comes of them. Macbeth, though, is disconcerted and, spoiler alert, together with his wife, soon acts to make the witch's prophecy come true. While the king is visiting their castle, Lady Macbeth murders him in his sleep, Macbeth lacking the nerve. Macbeth then murders the king's guards and claims that it was they who slew the king. Banquo, however, does nothing to further the witch's prophecy that he will be the progenitor of kings, and it's important to remember that there is no reason for him to do so. Macbeth, remember, became thane of Cawdor without any action on his part. He even reminds himself of that before he undertakes his bloody deeds. But then Macbeth turns even worse, acting not to make the witch's prophecies come true, but to prevent them from coming true. He hires assassins to murder Banquo and his only son, so that Banquo will not be the progenitor of kings. The assassins are only partially successful, Banquo dies, but his son escapes, and things just keep getting bloodier and bloodier, and all through the more and more desperate actions of Macbeth. I am in blood stepped so far, he muses at one point, that, should I wade no more, returning were as tedious as goor. And so he continues plotting and murdering. I ask myself why. Not why does he murder, that's obvious, ambition. No, I ask myself, why are Macbeth and Banquo different? You might say that one chooses the right and one chooses the wrong, but that only restates the problem. Was there some earlier time when Macbeth said, I will be weak and evil, and Banquo said, I will be strong and good? Probably not. But even if there were, the question would still remain. Why are we each the persons that we are, making the choices that we make? Both Banquo and Macbeth are put to the test, but only one is found wanting. We can say that Banquo has character and Macbeth doesn't, but why? One answer, though not one my students much liked when we discussed this, is that it is destiny, that Macbeth was destined to fall and Banquo wasn't. I have to admit, I don't much like this answer either. What is the meaning of our existence if we aren't in some way free to make our own destinies? When societies are ordered in such a way as to prevent some of its members from making their own destinies, we say that that order is disordered and work to change it. At least some of us do. But what if the entire universe is so disordered? What if we are born who we will be, good or evil? It's an unacceptable thought, but not one foreign to an honest, if nevertheless tragic, view of life. Oedipus, Western culture's foremost tragic figure, is destined to kill his father and marry his mother before he's even born. And nothing he does changes that. It's his fate. Is it simply Macbeth's fate to do evil and Banquo's fate not to do evil, determined like the fate of Oedipus before they're even born? Let's go back to the witches. They refer to themselves as the weird sisters, and they certainly are. They could hardly be more weird. But when we say this today, we don't mean anything more than that they are strange. In Shakespeare's day, though, that wasn't the meaning of weird. If we turn to the Oxford English Dictionary, the OED, we find this definition, weird, having the power to control the fate or destiny of human beings. Are the witches then merely the representation of fate? of destiny in human lives? It's a possibility we need to take seriously, however unhappy the thought. This is sometimes said of Iago as well. Does he only bring forward a potential that is in Othello from the beginning? Would Othello have murdered Desdemona, sorry, another spoiler alert, though too late, whether Iago baits him into it or not? Would Macbeth and Lady Macbeth have murdered Duncan as he slept in their castle, whether the witches existed or not? Might not something else have put the idea into their heads? But let's stay with the witches a bit. Perhaps we'll find a different, less devastating way of thinking of what they represent in the world. Where hast thou been, sister? The first witch asks the second. Killing swine this is something the second witch does. It isn't something she represents. Swine are swine, not ponies. Yet they die when they die because the witch kills them, not because it's their nature to die, at least not then. Perhaps Macbeth commits evil and dies as a result, not because it's in his nature, but because the witches cause him to do so. In their way, Perhaps we can say the witches simply kill Macbeth in their disturbed fashion. What the first witch has been up to is a little more complex, but perhaps also telling. A sailor's wife is eating chestnuts, and the witch asks her to share, which she refuses. The witch takes it out not on her, but on her husband, though he may be the most generous-hearted man on earth. The witches, that is, do evil of their own accord against whomever they choose. Perhaps there is simply evil in the world that has nothing to do with who we are or what we do, and the witches simply represent this. The witches have chosen Macbeth to bedevil, but we aren't told why any more than we're told why the second witch has been killing swine. It just seems to delight her. That we feel tragic pity for Macbeth would suggest we sympathize with him. Despite the evil he does, we don't feel that he is simply evil. If we feel tragic fear, as Aristotle says accompanies tragic pity, it is perhaps because we fear that similarly put to the test, we might also fail. That's why I guess we pray not to be put to the test. Still, When we are put to the test, I'd like to think we can choose to be Banquo and not Macbeth, if for no other reason than because we've read Macbeth. Until next time, I'm Dr. J.